HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Heritage Radio Network on Tour was recorded at Slow Food Nations 2017, a festival to taste and explore a world of good, clean, and fair food for all. Slow Food Nations took place in Denver over the weekend of July 14th through 16th and included panels, workshops, roundtables, cooking demos, farmer's markets, food tastings, and more. Heritage Radio Network's Kat Johnson traveled from Bushwick to the Mile High City to report on this first-of-its-kind international gathering presented by Slow Food USA. Heritage Radio Network on Tour is made possible by the support of the Julia Child Foundation. Welcome back to our coverage of Slow Food Nation's 2017 coverage from Denver, Colorado. I'm Kat Johnson for Heritage Radio Network, and I'm kicking off the final day of the festival with John Cox, the chef and partner of the Bear and Star in Los Olivos, just north of Santa Barbara. Welcome. Thank you, Kat. It's fantastic to be here. So first of all, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Um, you're a chef, but you are also a rancher. Um, but tell me a little bit about what you did before you opened the Bear and the Star. I've uh, been a lot of different places. Um, a big part of my career was working with the Post Ranch Inn group and opened a hotel for them in Sonoma as well as one in Hawaii. So farm to table and really more than farm to table, creating micro-regional um, experiences. It's what I focused on as a chef. Um, so tell me a little bit about we know the post ranch is, post ranch inn has been affected by some crazy weather this year, and you're still not too far from that area. So, can you give us a little bit of an update of what's going on in Central California? Sure, I still have a lot of friends in Big Sur, and it does sound very dramatic with the landslide and the bridge being out. But having lived on and off in Big Sur for five years, um, one thing that really ties the community together is their tenacity and just their love of the outdoors and really Big Sur is about the extreme of meetings of the Pacific Ocean and the mountains. So that's what the community thrives off of. And I think in a lot of ways, this has been a really, as much as it's been difficult, it's also been refreshing for them to kind of close down and focus on that community spirit. That's what made, has made Big Sur what it is. So there's two sides of the coin. It's very difficult for business, but it also has had benefits for the community as a whole from what I hear. And you've done some work with the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Yes, I've been a member of the Seafood Watch, and I think it's uh, incredibly important work that they're doing, um, trying to help consumers understand 
what sustainable seafood choices are. Um, you know, it's not a set target. There's fisheries that are constantly coming in and going out. And as a chef, it's so important to understand that and help um, send that information to consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of find yourself at the front of a lot of these movements, whether it's the Seafood Watch app or you did some work to save the species of fish abalone. Um, is that something that's intentional or you just kind of find yourself at the right place, right time to, to do something? No. And I've done a lot of work with abalone. I wouldn't necessarily say I've been on the forefront of saving it, but um, really my inspiration as a chef and since I was 20 years old working on the far eastern shore of uh, Maui has been to really, I could care less about truffles and foie gras. I, I really love things that can only be found in one place, whether it's abalone in Monterey or a rainforest mix of greens and pohole fern that can be only foraged in Maui. Um, those micro-regional ingredients are what excites me as a chef. So I think that by default, it's uh, brought me in contact with a lot of really neat opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about these micro systems and regions that you're talking about. Um, that's kind of the central um, mission of the Bear and the Star. So t- talk a little bit about that project, how it got started, and what you know what your thought process is whenever you are coming up with a new project for that or when you're cooking every day in the kitchen. Um, the Bear and Star is probably one of the most exciting restaurants I've ever, well, it is the most exciting restaurant I've ever been um, part in, simply because it goes way beyond the walls of the restaurant. I met Eli and Ashley Parker about a year ago, a little over a year ago, through a mutual friend. And Eli and Ashley have um, an amazing property up on Fox and Canyon Road, um, north of Santa Barbara. And it's a property that their father, Fess Parker, um, got a long time ago and built the Fess Parker Winery. It's 800 acres of just this beautiful pastoral land overlooking the wine country. There's 300 acres of vineyard. And the reason that I went up there originally was to look at a project that Eli's daughter, Katie, was working on, which was a small herd of um, full-blood Wagyu cattle. And she'd been working with a a ranch that I'm very familiar with from Santa Fe um, called Lone Mountain Ranch. So I was very interested in the genetics and what she was trying to do. And we were just brainstorming on where this beef um, could go, whether we'd go to chefs in Los Angeles. And at the end of the day, going through this ranch with them and talking to Eli and Katie, you just realized that there was never going to be a consumer that would appreciate that beef as much as the family. Um, there's such a story there with the grapes and the beef. I mean, talk about terroir and a dining experience that reflects that part of California. And even though at that time um, I was having a great, um, you know, great time cooking up in Monterey and Big Sur, I decided that it was a story that I was really passionate about. And part of that, a large part of that, was that I feel like farm to table especially, and being that we're here at Slow Foods, I think it's a very apt uh, point, is farm to table has been so um, appropriated and so exploited over the last 10 years that every restaurant you go into is farm to table. But I would argue that the majority really barely scratch the surface. You know, sometimes it's as little as going to a farmer's market or, you know, getting a couple hundred dollars worth of ingredients a week. And we're talking about restaurants that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on food. So what truly 
makes a restaurant farm to table. And I saw this as an opportunity to really break outside. Um, and in Santa Barbara, we have the best climate in the country for doing year-round farm-to-table dining. And the fact that no one's doing it on a larger scale was somewhat shocking. So when you start off with 300 acres of grapes and 20 head of Wagyu, which we've now increased to 120 head of Wagyu, that's the start of something really awesome, something that as a chef I don't think I could ever do on my own. But to have the land and the resources available, um, that in the last four months we've been able to build an orchard, an apiary. Um, We have almost 100 quail, 60 chickens. We have um, 50 sheep that we just put on the property last week. We have mangalitsa pigs coming in. So all of this is moving very quickly. And while we may not be 100% sustainable off the farm, um, we're doing it at a level that really does make an impact on the community and the restaurant. And, and that's really exciting for me. So you were talking about these restaurants that claim to be farm to table, but they really aren't like walking the walk. So how, when someone comes to eat at the Baron Star, how are you telling these stories to your guests? That's a great question. And I think it really illustrates one of the challenges that anyone trying to do this depth of farm to table has is that the expectation is that you are farm to table. So the best way for us to engage guests and explain it is to get them up to the ranch. Um, We're lucky to have um, an area where we can take people up on horseback or drive them into the farm and getting people involved and seeing it firsthand is really the only way to illustrate what we're doing. Um, we're not, you know, putting a huge um, written text in front of them. We're not giving them a 15-minute speech. We really hope that the quality and the integrity of the ingredients kind of shows through the food. But we have um, a couple of things at the restaurant that might clue people in. We have a large aquaponic system in the back that's made out of the picking bins um, that are left over from the winery. Uh, we also have wine barrel planters where we do a lot of our very fragile edible herbs and blossoms um, that we use on the nightly menu. So we've brought a little bit of the farm uh, down to the restaurant, and a lot of times that'll spark conversation about what we're doing. Great. And I read that that you, I believe you called it refined ranch cuisine. Do, do you still stand by that description? And, and if so, like what, what does that look like on a plate? The refined ranch cuisine is, I think it's pretty accurate. It's, it's a big shift for me. Uh, coming from a background of places like Post Ranch where we're doing nine, 12 course tasting menus and really you know, aspiring toward that Michelin uh, status. Now at the Baron Star, I have a chef's room. I like to do the really elevated gastronomy, but for the larger restaurant, I'm focusing on, the way I would describe it is things that my mom or that my grandmother might have uh, done. Uh, the Parkers and I share a lot of culinary history. Um, Fess Parker was raised in Fort Worth and San Angelo. Um, I was born in Dallas, so uh, Texas cooking is a big part of what I grew up with. And this is an opportunity for me to do something as simple as a meatloaf. But we're, in the case of the Baron Star meatloaf, we're taking Wagyu cattle from the ranch. We're having them um, slaughtered in a, at a community butcher. We're controlling every aspect of the feed. We're feeding them spent grains from the family's brewery. 
uh, great pumice from the winery. We're trying to close down that system as much as we can. Um, we're glazing it with a um, tomato ketchup that's harvested from the farm and then smoked off in our 30-foot smoker for 12 hours. So every part of that process is highly controlled. And while the food is very simple by nature, the ingredients really make it stand out. So that's exciting for me, spending a large part of my time working on the ingredient source and then just letting the food be natural and have that very homey, familiar feel. Um, and it's, it's very gratifying. So you, you're in California, so California is known for just having these amazing ingredients and resources. Do you have chefs from other parts of the country who come to visit you and, and ask you, how can I do this in like the South or the Northeast? The Baron Star has only been open for about two and a half months, and we've had uh, quite a few chefs come through. Um, I think that you can absolutely do it in the Northeast or the South. I mean, look at uh, what Dan Barber's been doing in upstate New York. It's absolutely, you know, it's so far beyond what my, most chefs are doing. And, and honestly, it's a big inspiration for what we do in California. So um, I think that the California climate's a huge advantage, but, you know, with uh, things like container uh, growing and greenhouses. There's all sorts of things you can do to extend the season. And at the end of the day, it depends a lot on how many customers are you trying to serve and how much land, how much resources are available. Um, there's always a way to do it. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you're mostly, you said you weren't interested in truffles because that's not something that's, you know, you're cultivating and where you are. Um, and you're more interested in things that you can produce on your ranch. However, I know that you have been doing some work in Oaxaca, uh, which is definitely a little, a little far outside of California. So tell me a little bit about that work and how you got interested in it. So Cultura Comida Bebida is a restaurant that I have with uh, Sarah Cabot, my partner, and uh, Chef Michelle Estegoy up in Carmel. And it, it started off as almost a side project. I had gone down to Oaxaca to do a mezcal tasting and because a large number of the cooks that I worked with in Monterey were from Oaxaca. So our family meals would be clayudas and moles and this incredibly rich and flavorful Oaxacan cuisine. And one day I, I had the time and I decided to go down to Oaxaca City and spend a week just immersing myself in that mezcal and food culture. And it was, um, it was a really deep experience. I thought that you know Oaxaca was one of the most beautiful and passionate places when it came to food and art. And because there's such a large Oaxacan community in Monterey, yet most people have never really had Oaxacan cuisine and up until recently really hadn't had mezcal, I thought it would be neat to have a restaurant that is very much a Carmel restaurant because we're using seafood from the Monterey Bay, we're using abalone, we have a couple of relationships with small farms in the area, but the inspiration is very much in our travels. So primarily it's to Oaxaca. We go there about twice a year to taste mezcal, bring mezcal back and get new ideas. Um, it's also largely driven by uh, Michelle's background growing up in a uh, second generation uh, Mexican household, as well as our cooks who are all born and raised in Oaxaca and have you know a really personal uh, drive to make that cuisine the best that it can be. So for me, it's very much a collaborative restaurant. I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm the driving force behind it by any means, but it's about pulling people together and showcasing um, that Oaxacan influence. 
What was the response to your cooks when you... Well, were, were some of these cooks people that had been with you for a, a long time before you developed this concept? Um, I've worked with most of the cooks over the last... Well, let's see. I've been in the Monterey area for about eight, nine years, and I've known most of the cooks the entire time. And one of the most gratifying things is, as you are aware, I'm sure, staffing in restaurants is so challenging right now. Um, Probably the toughest staffing environment I've ever seen. But when we opened up Cultura, it was amazing at the number of people who just came to the back door and said, Chef, I've heard what you guys are doing, um, and I'd really like to be involved. I want to work there. And the people that we have in our kitchen just are truly passionate about um, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, it's really cool. That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit more about why we're here this weekend, Slow Foods. Um, and so tell me about how you first got involved. So coming to Slow Foods um, was largely um, to cook on the big green eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, these are um, a tool that I've been using for um, a couple of years. And I love it. And they have a, a bunch of the big green eggs um, here at the event. So it was an opportunity to bring both some of the Bear and Star um, inspiration and some of the Cultura inspiration here to Denver and talk about slow foods, um, teach people a little bit about um, what a cool product um, the egg is. Mm-hmm. So we've been using it for uh, a ton of different things. I've been uh, working with uh, Chef Rusty from uh, Pine Street Market, and it's just been uh, so much fun. Really, it's uh, I have a lot of friends in Denver, and it's just an opportunity to come out here and uh, see what everybody else is doing and share a little bit of our own um, ideas and techniques. Great. Are you involved in slow food in California? I am. I've been part of uh, the Santa Cruz uh, chapter, and I need to uh, join down in Southern California now that I've migrated farther south. Yeah. Um, um, what? So you're kind of transitioning from chapter to chapter, but um, is, is there any other work you can talk about that you've done with slow food? I mean, you kind of live and breathe the the ethos of slow food at your restaurant and at your ranch but tell me if there's anything else that maybe we missed that's true i think that in california especially it's just and especially in the california coast the slow food culture is such a um, way of life particularly um, one of the things that i've been most excited about with slow foods is the efforts they've been taking with uh, elementary schools and school dining we're lucky in Carmel to have a middle school that has an incredibly well-developed farming and cooking program. So I've worked with them for several years, um, helping the kids harvest and talking about um, sustainable foods. And as a chef, you know, seeing that next generation come up and have a respect for organic local foods that, you know, come right from the source, I think, you know, there's really not more important work. So what Slow Foods is doing in that area is um, pretty neat. Yeah, and hopefully it'll be like a blueprint for the rest of the country to follow. Absolutely. Um, Well, John, thank you so much for joining me for this last day of Slow Food Nations in Denver, Colorado. Um, Hopefully we get to try some of the food that you're making on the Big Green Egg as well. Um, So thank you. Thank you, Kat. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. You too.